welcome to New Life Church Sermons. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to connect more with us, go to newlifesl.church. God is good, amen. You can be seated. We are um, exploring how we love God. We know God loves us. We sang about it. The Bible tells us emphatically that God loves us. But how do we love God? Well, we find the beginning stages of this foundational truth revealed to us in the early stages of Scripture. We find that as he approached the assembly to instruct the people, the deliverer of Israel had seen a lot. Miracle upon miracle signs and wonders he had led a nation through walls of water journeyed up a mountain to see God and now he is preparing this same nation to possess their promise their promised land but in order for there to be peace in the promised land there needed to be a pledge a pledge of love not God's pledge to the people but the people's pledge to their God. Under the command of Yahweh, Moses proclaimed to the people of Israel, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. The command of love for Yahweh included every part of a person. There's more to you than meets the eye. Some some are like, yeah, I, I know that. There's more to you than meets the eye. This scripture tells us to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, and strength. Heart, the innermost being, the emotions, the will, the mind, soul. The very life force, your spirit, the fact that you are alive means you should love the Lord your God with that life, with that ability of living, with that existence. Love the Lord with your emotions, your will, your mind, with your very existence, with your might, which is your strength and passions that are demonstrated through your body, your lifestyle. You can tell the people that love God, and you can tell the people that really love God. It's just an extra level of passion behind it. Not meaning that you have to be crazy, but you can, passion reveals determination, focus. Your heart is in it. You can tell when someone's heart is in it. If you're having this conversation, and you look across the table, and their eyes are glazed over, their heart is not in the conversation. They're there in body. They are not there in spirit. They are somewhere else. They left their body, and they're somewhere else. They're just, I'm going to leave my corpse with you to keep talking. You know, their heart's not in it. You can tell when someone's heart's not in it. Nobody's fooling anybody. Well, I'm here today. Good. I'm glad you're here. Put your heart in it. Don't just show up, but give God your best. And so we see that this command, the Shema, it's the very lifeblood of Judaism. But we know that Christianity came out of Judaism. For Jesus came to not get rid of the law, but to fulfill it and institute a new life through him. 
So he fulfilled the old covenant so that he could bring about the new, so that we could be partakers of this new covenant. And this command covers the three components of humanity. You are made up of three parts. The Bible gives us this understanding. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Paul tells us that now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Everyone say completely. We don't want to just be sanctified partially. We want to be sanctified completely. And Paul says how we are to be sanctified completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The invisible part of you and the visible part of you must be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. Three components of humanity that God himself sanctifies are the same three components that we are to love the Lord our God with. We, it's like his sanctification is connected to our love for him because he can't sanctify us if we don't love him. And and that becomes clear as we move on. In other words, we must just simply love God with our whole self. Look at somebody and say, our whole self. Our thoughts, our desires, our actions, our body, our soul, our spirit. Matthew 22, 36 through 40, Jesus confirms Deuteronomy 6. When the the Pharisees come to catch Jesus and they ask the question, what is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Everything in Scripture can be fulfilled through those two commandments. Again, the call to love with every single part of you. Jesus declares but now Jesus also includes the command to love each other insinuating you can't love God without loving each other claiming that the scriptures themselves depend on this the infallible forever settled word of God hangs on these two commandments and we find that it's a complete love it's an agape it's a selfless motive giving yourself completely to God with your life, thoughts, desires, and actions. Everything. That's the call. The call is for everything. The command in Deuteronomy 6 is for everything. I have given you this promised land, and I have demonstrated my love for you, how I have brought you out of bondage and bringing you into this land of promise, and I'm driving out the inhabitants of this land so you can live in this land and possess this land. I'm demonstrating my love for you through everything I am giving to you, but before you step into it, I'm calling you to love me at that same level. Why? How could God call us to love him at that level? It's very simple. Because he was already loving us at that level. 
He is not telling us to go there. He's calling us up here because where he is already at is where he is calling us to. I want you to love at this level because I already love you at this level. I'm not going to call you to do something that I have not already demonstrated and given. 1 John 4.19 confirms this to us where the great apostle John tells us that the only reason we love him is because he first loved us. That word is agape. It's that same level of love. The only reason you can love him is because he already loves you. That's the only reason. Why, why that, the only reason he can call us at this deep level is because he's already there. John 14, 15 gives us a, a just a, an emphatic declaration. Jesus states this to his disciples in that last supper before he's betrayed and crucified. He just says this, if you love me, keep my commandments. I'm sure all the spouses here today or anyone that's ever been in a semi-serious relationship has either said these words or heard these words said to you, Don't tell me you love me. Show me you love me. Because if all you do is tell me, but you never show me, those are just empty words. Well, all the spouses are like, yep. No. It's true, though. And it doesn't apply to just marriage. It applies to every relationship. Whatever the level of intimacy in that relationship, friends, best friends, or just acquaintances, there's a level of this type of selfless love that we are to show and give. But we shouldn't just say it, we should show it. That's what Jesus wants. Don't come here on Sunday and tell me you love me if you never show me Monday through Saturday. I don't want to just hear the words. The Old Testament tells us, you come to me with these vain repetitions and these words, these empty sacrifices, and, and you're, you're going through the motions, but your heart is far from me. Jesus doesn't want to hear the words if you won't give him your heart. And so Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. For Jesus is revealing to us that our love for God is demonstrated through our obedience to God. If we want him to be Lord of our life, our heavenly father, our Jesus, the one whom we worship, then our obedience to his word will reveal our complete love for him. Show him you love him. Matthew 6:33 it's another one of those broad verses, but it's not broad in the sense of being shallow and vague. It's broad because it's calling for everything. See, we, I don't know how it is in other places in the world, but in North America, we like to compartmentalize things. We got that, you know, that pie chart and this part of the week consists of this and this part of the week consists of this and Sunday is for Jesus. And, uh, you know, it's a good practice to go to church on Sunday. But if that's the only day you're going to give him, there's a lot missing. 
Because the Bible isn't calling for one day, it's calling for all of you. So when Jesus makes this uh, statement in Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He's talking about don't worry about food, clothing, and shelter in the sense of letting that consume all your time. I'm putting in 80 hours a week so I can have a certain standard of living. And then Jesus is an afterthought. That, that may be how it is for the American dreamer, but that's not how it should be for a child of God. The Lord will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. So seek first the kingdom. Because that's the kingdom you're a part of. So don't look to Jesus the Savior to get you into the kingdom so you don't go to hell, but then spend all of your time focusing on an earthly kingdom for a quality of living. Just seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added. Seek in this verse encompasses all three aspects of who, who body, soul, spirit. And it infects how we love him with our time, our talent, and our treasure. If we love God with those three areas, that affects our whole life, all of us, every aspect. Time represents the longevity of our life. 40 years, 80 years, 120 years, doesn't matter the amount of time. It's just your time is what it is. It's the longevity of your life or your existence. Talent, the productivity of your life or your existence. What did you do with the amount of time you had on earth? And treasure, the resources of your life. It's not about the amount. It's about did you use those resources for the kingdom of God? Longevity of our life, productivity of our life, the resources of our life. So let's talk about time. There's so many hours in a day, and everybody gets the same amount of hours. Did you guys know that? Okay, just make it your, everybody gets the same amount of hours. In so many days in each of our lives, some people get more days, but uh, what we do with these Days and these hours matters. This aspect of loving God is pretty simple. If we're not making time for Jesus and we don't give of our time to his kingdom, then we are not loving him with our time. It's just as simple as that. If we are not using our time for Jesus and we don't give of our time for his kingdom, then we are not loving him with our time because the basis of love is give. That's how God demonstrated his love to us. And that's how we demonstrate our love to him, through our giving. Remember that loving, it is giving. Look at somebody and say, loving is giving. If you love, you will give. How much time each day do you give to Jesus? How much time do you willingly, number one, and joyfully, number two, invest in his kingdom? 
willingly and joyfully give of your time to his kingdom. How much time? The adage that time is money, yes, so invest in a good thing. Invest in something that will never fade away. Invest in something that you don't have to worry about crashing and plummeting and going into a recession or a depression. Invest your time in the kingdom. And there will come a day that the rewards you receive are so great that you cannot imagine. Jesus asks the question in his teaching in Mark 8, 36, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What profit is there in gaining the world and losing your own soul? What profit is there in gaining all of the temporal but losing out on the eternal? What profit is there in that? There is none. What good would it do to spend all of our time pursuing things that won't last? What good would it do to love God partially when he's called us to love him completely? That's really the call. It doesn't do any good to love God partially when the call is for completely. When he's calling for all of you, but you just give him some of you, what good is there in that? For all that's happening is a frustrated relationship because God's not satisfied and you're not satisfied. Torn between two worlds. I can't make up my mind. Well, the Lord says, choose you this day. There's no benefit in loving God partially when he's loved us completely and he's calling us to love him completely. And we find out in Scripture, throughout Scripture, that partially is not permitted. It wasn't in the Old Testament, and it's not in the New Testament. Partially is not permitted. Look at somebody and say, partially is not permitted. It's not permitted. It's all or nothing. So the question is, is, are you a pilgrim and stranger in this world? Or are you a pilgrim and stranger in the church? The hard questions to evaluate where we are in our relationship with Jesus. A pilgrim and stranger in this world or a pilgrim and stranger in the church? Here it is. This is how you know. Where do you feel more comfortable? That's the question. That tells you where you are. There's no point in getting offended at it. It's just the reality. If reality offends, then I'm sorry. If you feel more comfortable out in the world with the mindsets and the the viewpoints of the world system and the viewpoints and the mindsets and the lifestyle of the church that is found and rooted in the word of God makes you uncomfortable and feel left out and like a stranger, then it tells you where you're at and who you are giving yourself to. Just passing through on a Sunday, but the majority of my time is focused on me and what I want and just living the life that's pleasing to me, but I just give myself on Sunday so I can lie to myself and tell me I'm okay. That's not what the Bible teaches. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. 
For otherwise, that's not the kind of love that Jesus loved us with. He didn't love us partially. That's not the kind of love that he desires. He does not desire partial love. And that's not the kind of love he deserves. We want to live for love God based off of our terms, but he who gave himself completely is calling us to a complete, total love. He deserves nothing less than your whole self. Therefore, our time is God's. Does that mean we quit our job and just spend 24 hours a day in prayer? No. But love the Lord your God at your job. Love the Lord your God in every area of your life at all times. Have a mindset that is always open to God. Meaning, do you think about Jesus on on a Tuesday? If the answer is no, then make some adjustments. For your mind can always be stayed on him even though you are functioning here on earth. It's a time. Talent. There's a parable in the Gospels where Jesus talks about talents. And the context of this passage is referring to money. But the principle of the parable reveals something to us. And it's about this man who traveled into a far country and called his own servants. And he gave unto them his goods. And he gave unto one five talents. And another two. And another servant he gave one talent. And then he left and went on his journey. And the one who had received five talents went, took it, invested it, and doubled it. And got another five. The other who had received two went, invested it, doubled it, got another two. The one servant with one talent took it and buried it in the earth. And when the Lord came back to his servants and the time came to reckon with them, the one who had received five talents came and said, Lord, I took those five and I have also received and made another five and so here you are. And the Lord said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy of the Lord. He also that had received two talents, the same report. I took the two, I doubled it, and now here's four. And the Lord responds with, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things, and now I will make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. And the one who had received the one talent, now let's just, you can't get any less than one. (laughs) And the one who had the least did the least. And he says, Lord, I know that you're a hard man and You reap where you didn't sow and gather where you have not strawed. And so I took your money and I buried it. I did nothing with it. So the Lord responds and, well, the servant also says, I I was afraid. So I didn't do anything. Lord responds with, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew 
that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I have not strolled. You should have at least taken the money, given it to the exchangers, and when I came back, received it with interest. So now take this servant and take his talent and give to the one who, I, who has ten. For every one that hath, it shall be given, and he that has abundance. And from him that hath not shall be taken away, even when he, uh, or sh- shall not be taken away, even that which he hath. In other words, if you don't do anything, you're going to lose what you got to begin with. doesn't matter what you have, it's what you do with what you have. How much or how little. And cast the un profitable servant into outer darkness there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth so the excuse of I don't have much to offer God doesn't stand you got to start using whatever it is that you have for God you got to do something you've got to be profitable somehow some way it doesn't matter if the only profit so to speak that you make for the rest of your days is one little thing you got to do something with what you got because the simple question is this what did you do with what God gave you it's a simple question what did you do with what God gave you financially or ability What did you do with what God gave you? Did you use it for the kingdom of God? Or did you just deposit it into the earth? Did we take what God gave us and invest somehow, some way, did the best with what we were given and sow it back into the kingdom to benefit the kingdom, to bless the kingdom, to further the kingdom? Or did we just take what we were born with and just constantly invested in the earth. What does that mean? Well, you can draw the spiritual principle, whatever talent you may have, whether it was one or a bunch. Did you take it and invest it in the world in the sense of just building your own life, doing whatever you want to establish uh, uh, your your quality of life and, and every talent you ever had, you just simply used it in the world or deposited it into the earth? Or did you do your very best with what God gave you to further the kingdom of God? So we summarize it like this, under this talent category. We love God with our time. We love God with our talent or our abilities. Colossians 3.17, Paul tells us, not everybody has the same gift. We know that. That's why it's the body. He talks about that. Not everybody can be the ear. So get over it. Whatever you are, use it to bless the body of Christ. And you may not really, re- you know, you, you may be one of those parts of the body that nobody, nobody pays attention to. Not that that's a good thing, but nobody pays attention to their big toe until it's gone. But man, were you valuable. But the body of Christ should look out for one another, encourage one another, build each other up, and, 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 uh, and, and motivate each other on to good works. But Colossians 3.17, Paul says this, whatever you do, whatever you do, 
Now, whatever is whatever. It's, all, it's another one of those all-encompassing things. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all, all, all-encompassing again, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and by him. So no, we don't all just quit our jobs and sing in a circle kumbaya in some middle of the wilderness until Jesus comes because that's not being profitable. We're supposed to impact the world. You can't impact the world in, in the wilderness. So we've got to be in the world but not of the world and use our abilities to uh, further the kingdom of God and impact the world. But while we're doing it all, we do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. So whatever job it is you work, do it differently than the lost person. Whatever you do throughout the week, do it differently and do it better than anybody else. That way, when people look at you, there's something different about them. Why do they always respond with a soft answer when the other person is angering them? Well, because I'm living out the word of God, and the word of God says a soft answer turns away wrath. What do I do when someone persecutes me? I respond with good works because I'm heaping coals of fire on them. And Jesus said to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So I am a walking Bible through my lifestyle. Not a walking Bible because of how much I know, but a walking Bible because of how much of it I live. So whatever you do, wherever you live your life, whatever neighborhood, community, or place in this Bay Area that you do life 24-7, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus this last portion of how we love God through our time, talent, and treasure, I want to focus a little bit of time on treasure, money. Because of the fact that just about every sermon that's preached every Sunday or every lesson that's taught on a midweek is calling us to give, give or do more for the Lord, answer the call of God, which typically is focusing on our time or our ability. But in this last part, I want to focus on some biblical teaching regarding money. Sometimes there's a stigma attached to it, but the Bible does talk about it. And as long as we teach it in the book, there's nothing to uh, get nervous about. But Jesus makes a statement in Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Um, you know, been reading the news about different examples of looting. High-end stores now, it's crazy. You don't have to worry about that happening to you when you lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Whatever is down here on earth can't touch kingdom investments. And Jesus then makes this statement. For where your treasure is, is where your heart is. Why does Jesus uh, talk about our money? And why does the word of God address money both in the Old Testament and the New? Because where your treasure is, there's your heart. And uh, one of the areas where God knows that he has you 
as if he has your money. Do we honor the Lord with our substance? So, uh, you know, we've heard the term, put your money where your mouth is. And that's a betting term. We don't do that. Amen? Okay, just, no. Everyone's like, I don't know about you, but I was in Vegas last night. No. Uh, you know, there's different things the Bible talks about gambling, but the bottom line is that's just not being a good steward of what God has given you. We want to honor the Lord uh, with every area of our life, and God doesn't get much glory through gambling. So, uh, anyway. So, put your money where your mouth is is a betting term, but put your money where your heart is, that's a kingdom term. That's a kingdom term. So, let's explore it for a moment. Proverbs 3, verses 9 through 10. Honor the Lord with your substance. I mean, that's... If we can just live that statement right there, you don't have to worry about anything. I, mean, I want to honor God with my substance. So does God get honor out of a partial gift? What I mean by that is like, you know, for example, we'll, we'll uh, use this analogy in bananas. You want to honor somebody with a bushel of bananas. But you're honoring the, and it, the, those bananas are wilted and brown and they're like peeling themselves because they're so well they're not ripe anymore they're just rotten so the peel is just falling off you're not really honoring that person but when you give them a bushel of ripe bananas that is not going to cause them to become nauseated uh, you're honoring them better I know it's an elementary example but would you feel honored? For example, you do a missions trip to Costa Rica. And the church there, they don't have much. Nobody in the church there is driving a Maserati. Nobody in the church here is driving a Maserati either. But nobody in the church there is driving a Maserati. So we're not going to expect, you know, a brand new suit or a $10,000 check or, you know, any of those things that we base off of our American uh, culture. But they're giving their best gift to honor somebody that came from the United States to do a mission trip to their local church in Costa Rica. So they give you a bushel of perfectly ripe bananas. Now, they do it with love, sincerity, and humility, and they are joyful in giving it to you. That's going to be the greatest gift you've ever received. And somebody's like, well, you know, I just want to get God off my back, so here's 10000 bucks." I'd take it, but I wouldn't feel honored. Right? You see that? Now, what if somebody gives you, you know, here's this just, it's an afterthought. It's not really my best. And I, I'm just kind of going through the motions to fulfill requirements, but I'm not wanting to honor you. You can tell when you feel honored, and so does the Lord. So we honor the Lord with our substance. And then it says, with the first fruits of all thine increase. There's that other all-encompassing word. The Bible is filled with them. All, everything, completely. Love the Lord your God with all. Honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. But this is the thing, this is what's so cool about Jesus. He never makes a command or requirement 
or uh, a call to someone without giving them a promise. You can't answer the call of God or obey a commandment of God without there being a blessing or a promise that follows. It's impossible. So you honor the Lord with your substance, with the first fruits of all your increase. Verse 10, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your presses shall burst out with new wine. Malachi 3, 8 through 12. We talked about this. Uh, One of the most common relational strains is connected to finances for like in a marriage or whatever. It's one of the common ones. So it is with God. Did you know that? The Bible tells us. Malachi 3, verse 8 through 12. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. Our relationship is strained due to finances. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, where did you rob me? In tithes and offerings. I'll tell you where you robbed me. This is God speaking. Okay, this is God speaking. I'll tell you where you robbed me. In tithes and offerings. So, verse 9. You are cursed with a curse. (laughs) The previous passage we read came with a promise. But robbing God comes with a curse. You have robbed me, so you're cursed with a curse. So verse 10, he says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. Prove me. Prove me in this. Test me. If you don't believe me, try it. And I will prove to you that I will open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. That sounds like the decree. (laughs) And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field. And all nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. So where do we get this word tithe? Genesis 14, 18 through 20. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine. He was the priest for the Most High God. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram, the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he, referring to Abram, gave him, Melchizedek, tithes of all. There's that word again, all, tithes. Uh, In a commentary, the Bible knowledge commentary, we find this... Uh, it recaps the story that uh, Melchizedek is the only person whom Abram recognized as his spiritual superior. Abram accepted blessing from him, and Abram paid him a tenth of all he had. Abram did this deliberately in full awareness of what he was doing. It shows how unthreatened and humble Abram was even after a victory of where he defeated kings. He recognized that God's revelation was not limited to him. And while the reader's attention is focused on Abram carrying the whole spiritual hope of the world, out of this obscure passage in this obscure Canaanite valley, a man nearer to God than Abram was came and blessed Abram, Melchizedek, the high priest. 
So we find in this that this, this tithing, this tenth, for tithe means a tenth, is this aspect of giving back to God what belongs to God. Now God doesn't need our money because he owns the cattle on a thousand hills and etc. But he wants your heart. We demonstrate to God that he has our heart through our willingness to give tithes and offering. That's one area. It's not the only area. You can't write a check and appease God but not give him your heart. But you also can't not do that and give him your heart. It's all. It's everything. Time, talent, treasure. Leviticus 27, 30 through 31. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Whoever would redeem any of their tithe must add a fifth of the value to it. So there's this principle found in Leviticus 27, 30 through 31. And we need to understand that we live in a financial based economy uh, where the economy is run through uh, our currency is the dollar Um, and maybe bitcoin in the future i don't know but uh we'll tithe of bitcoin to the lord um anyway that that'll be crazy uh but it's not agricultural so our first fruits isn't you know the first stalk of corn you know It's not an agricultural society, and I know some of us know this, but we do not barter or pay chickens for grain. I'll give you two chickens for, you know, a pound of grain. We we understand that. It's hard-earned money that we get for our labor, the paycheck. Whatever that paycheck is, we give God a tenth of it, for he will continue to bless us where there's not room to receive it, and he'll rebuke the devourer so the other 90% is not consumed. And as a covenant Christian, we have to understand if we have entered into covenant with God through repentance, baptism in the name of Jesus Christ, and the infilling of his spirit, and we're striving to live a life pleasing to God according to the covenant command found in Scripture, if you love me, keep my commandments, then you can't live like everybody else. The sinner out there doesn't tithe to God or give offerings, but he's also not in covenant with God. But we as covenant Christians, we strive to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, and might. We give to God because we love him. If you love me, keep my commandments. We give to God because we love him of our time, our talent, and our treasure. But if we do not give him of our treasure, we rob him. For Malachi 3 verse 8 tells us, we can only rob God through tithes and offerings. We know that a tithe is a tenth of all our increase, whether our financial increase is weekly, bi-weekly, or monthly. Whatever, whenever it comes in, we give God a tenth of that. Offering is a free will gift to God. It's where we give to God not what he is owed, but we give to God a free will offering, and it can be whatever you desire to give. It can be whatever you desire to give. For honoring the Lord with your substance is what we should all strive to do. However, there is a principle that I'd like to present to you. That's all I'm doing, just presenting this to you. I'm not calling for it. I'm just presenting it to you. So look at somebody and say, he's just presenting it to us. (laughs) Leviticus 27, 30 through 31, we read it earlier, but a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. 
Whoever would redeem any of their tithe, add a fifth of the value to it. Redeem means to get back. You want to redeem your tithe? Add an extra 5% offering. We find this promise. A tithe, a tenth of all produce belongs to God. It's to be offered to him again. But the worshiper can buy it back by adding a fifth. A 10% tithe and a 5% offering principle reveals you'll get the 10 back. Meaning, you just can't really contain the blessings. You've probably heard it like this. You just can't outgive God. You just can't outgive God. Try it. <laughs> I mean, you just can't outgive God. And so, what I wanted to do today, and how do we love Him? I wanted to, and I didn't even exhaust every aspect of it. There's so much more the Bible says and how we love Him. But if we seek to honor and 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 give and love the Lord our with our time, our ability, and our money and we do it with a joyful, willingly, cheerful heart, you will be the most blessed person on the face of the earth. Don't withhold one area from God, but every area we talked about today. Give it to God 100% and honor the Lord with your time, your talent, with your substance, and watch God, as his word says, pour out a blessing in your life. Amen.